stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. There has never been a time in the history of these United States when there has been a system that has continuously benefited black people. Code Keepers, we're in for a great conversation tonight. You know, of course, I'm a bruh, Omega Psi Phi fraternity, but I have one of my other friends with it. He wears gold as well, and you wear black and gold, right? That's right, the black and old gold, absolutely. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests, unless we say we agree, unless explicitly stated. Online Code Keepers, hey, we're ready for another great episode. And I have Dr. Sean Woodley with us. And the great thing about this brother, you know, fraternity aside, is he's a Hamptonian. <laughs> so yes, salute the Hamptonians. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, Hamptonian. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to come and engage in this conversation on your platform. I wanted to, you know, just first acknowledge you and what you are doing here and some phenomenal, phenomenal work. I've known you for for quite some time now and I appreciate everything that you're doing and sharing this space with me. So thank you first and foremost. My name is uh, Dr. Sean Woodley and I am the architect behind the educator movement, Teach, Hustle, Inspire. The Teach is about how we unlock intellectual treasure. When these students walk into the learning environment each and every day, our objective is one thing, how do we get them from where they are to where they need to be? And that's not just academics, by the way. Um, the hustle, I'm a 90s hip hop bad boy fan. So the hustle is about how we can't stop learning and we won't stop learning. And then the inspire is a foundation to it all. It's about how we spread love and light. And so I have the mission and pleasure of spreading the message of Teach, Hustle, Inspire with the workshops and keynote speaking engagements that I do in the training and professional development that I do for schools and districts across this country. Um, traditionally, that have been underserved, undervalued, and underloved. Underloved. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, man. Because when you think about it, that's that's what it is that we are talking about children who not have only been underserved, but that underserved is underloved. They're not valued some depending on your zip code and you and you we all know what I'm talking about. Your zip code can determine if for a lot of places the value and the resources that are provided there. Wow. Wow. Hmm. Well, you know, what's interesting is if the zip code can determine so much of a person's school experience, that varies. That just is so different than what we hear politically. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, here in Virginia, we have a race right now for the lieutenant go- for the governor and lieutenant governor. And I hear from both sides that, hey, we need to raise the standards. We need to you know, raise the standards and our children will do better. So mm-hmm. but as an insider, I often question that. But you're the you know, you're the guru. So, you know, what can really lead us to higher outcomes? Will raising standards lead us to higher outcomes? No, because that in not to sound cliche but we've been there and done that before the really the the underlying question behind that is whose standards 
because if you look at the standardized tests that we have now and the objectives, they're all based on someone's experience. Many times it's not the experience of children and people that look like you and I. And so when we talk about those standards and even expectations to meet those standards, it's really about what narrative, what end game, if you will, are they based upon? When we really examine and peel back the layers, we find that there is disparity in those standards and who they work for and who they serve. Interesting. Interesting. That leads me to another question. If if raising standards alone won't help, if the zip codes impact uh, so negatively, and I guess in some mm-hmm. ways, some positively, um, is there a way to really address the achievement gap that we're having in our schools, particularly those schools that support children that look like us? Yes. That that word achievement gap is it's a it's a buzzword that's been in education prevalently for several years now. And if you really think about what the achievement gap is saying, it's saying inherently, like if you look at the data, it will tell you that there are certain types of children that can't learn. Essentially, that's what it is. You have your exceptions, of course, to every single rule, but that's what the achievement gap implies, whether it is children based on race, ethnicity, zip code, um, certain poverty levels, things of that nature. There's some circumstance that determines how a child or if a child can learn, which is problematic. It's not really at the end of the day, an achievement gap more so than it is an instructional gap. We when we are prepared to become teachers, we're prepared to teach the average child. We're prepared to teach the average child in average instructional ways. And if you really think about it, the average child does not technically exist. There is not one child on this that you will find in your classroom. There's not one child that you will find in your school. There's not one child that you will find in this world that fits that description of the average child we are taught to teach. Even if you take it further with the idea of differentiating. Yes, differentiating instruction is important, but at the end of the day, that differentiation is based on average. When you think of it and you try to separate the academic from the from the whole child and who that child is in the relationship aspect, in the identity aspect, in the cultural aspect, then you begin to add new levels and dimensions to teaching and learning. That has to be at the foundation of it. The way that we are taught to become educators, it has nothing to do with it. And we end up becoming a familiar if we ever even become familiar with these facets of instruction later on in professional development or if we should just happen to read a book about it it's not the core it's not it's not the foundation of what it is to be educator and it is absolutely critical to make sense we have we have to understand how our students make sense of the world because what's happening is we're teaching and they're not learning so if we're not if they're not learning the way that we teach we have to teach the way that these students learn Uh, you mentioned a book, and I wanted to take this moment to uh, push your book. MC means move the class. MC means move the class. Dr. Sean Woodley, PhD. How to spark engagement and motivation in urban and culturally diverse classrooms. How long did it take you to write this book? Well, to actually write it, it's maybe close to 
eight months, maybe a year, something along those lines. But that is based off of my experience going on over at that time, maybe 10, 12 years. And I, I wrote the book. It's a play on words as a as fellow DJ. You understand it's a play on words from Eric B and Rakim. MC means to move the crowd. And while I was teaching in the classroom, I was a full-time teacher, but I was also a DJ. And so there would be many a time where I would go from the classroom to the club. And there were just so many things that I realized, okay, hold on. When I'm in this club, I'm trying to get these people to motivate, I'm trying to motivate them to be engaged. I'm trying to help them have a good time. When I'm in the classroom, I'm trying to do the same thing. When I'm in this club, hold on, I'm making real time decisions because if this record didn't land right, then I have to, I have to know where to go and how far to go. If I'm in the classroom, this lesson doesn't land right. I have to do the same exact thing. Wait, hold on. When I'm in this club, so I'm, I'm, I'm making all of these, I'm, I'm recognizing all of these similarities, whether I'm in the classroom or I'm in the club. And what my research showed me is that there are four critical areas and I focus on in the book that I use some alliteration. I focus on the achievement, about making the instruction culturally relevant and responsive. I focus on the alliance, the connection and relationship building. I focus on the awareness. As educators, we have to be aware of self to make sure that that relationship aspect, are we somebody that our students want to relate to in the first place? Turning that mirror on ourselves and then the artistry, the creativity facet of it. How can we bring more of our true authentic self into the classroom take these lessons and these uh, standards and objectives that we're giving them and make them genuine, authentic, engaging experiences. And that's all rooted in creativity. Wow. I, I, I like what you're saying. Let's bring it down to the nitty gritty. Okay. You know, what needs to change in our urban schools? And I'm being politically correct. I'm going to ask it in a different way in a second. But what needs to change mm-hmm. in our urban schools? <laughs> It, this this goes back to kind of just what I mentioned before. The, it's it, it's a lot about the mindset of what good teaching and learning looks like, and it's often too much. It's often it's too often focused on the instructional, the tactical things that we do as educators. Teaching is not a tactical profession. Teaching is a relational profession. We're not talking about interacting with. We're not talking about interacting with devices. We are talking about human to human connection. And when that is not at the root of instruction, I mean, and you know this as an educator, if you know that there are children that you are connected with, those children will move mountains for you. They, those are the ones when you are connected authentically with those students, you know that if there is something that they don't understand, they're much more likely to actually communicate that they don't understand it until, instead of waiting until after the assessment to tell you why and I didn't understand that. They're more likely to let you know when things are happening that can interfere with them engaging in instruction and engaging in the teaching and learning in the middle of class instead of just being you know, laid back and, and, and just apathetic for, for lack of a better word in the moment. When you're connected with those students, not only do they want to do better for you just because they look up to you, just because they respect you and they know that you value them, but they want to do better for themselves. And that builds on something that is critical in the classroom, efficacy. Lack of effort, lack of motivation, a lack of just will to do better is all a lack of efficacy. And efficacy is fueled with connection, believing in yourself, 
do I believe that I can actually do this? Why even try if there's no belief there that I can actually do it or that there's no benefit for me? That kind of leads me to one of the things that I've seen some of my peers struggle with, and I, I may mm-hmm. struggle with as well. Students tend to do better if they like the teacher. Oh, yeah. If they like the classroom. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I hear repeatedly, I don't like that classroom. I don't like that teacher. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can't stand the people in that class. Um, how do we change if that's the experience that students are mm-hmm. sharing? What do we do about it? We have to understand where that disconnect is coming from. There are a lot of different places that the disconnect can be rooted in. I really what I what my research has told me is that it's focused in three main areas. Our connection with the work itself. Does it speak to the student and how they make sense of the world? Not how you want them to make sense of the world, but is their instruction framed in a way that can naturally blend in with how that student sees things? A connection with his or her peers collaboratively. Is there an opportunity for that student to engage with his or her peers to learn from people who make sense of the world the same way he or she does? And also a connection with the teacher that teacher, that relationship, when that connection is there on all three of those levels, that is an environment that is warm and friendly. I didn't say easy, but it is warm and friendly and opens the opportunity for you to push that student. And more importantly, that student will let you push them. Mm. That student will let you push them. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so mm-hmm. that's interesting. That means that the, the student has to provide you some uh, agreement. Permission. They have, yeah, they have to give you permission. Wait, wait, wait. That's totally averse to what we're taught as educators. The classroom is ours. We have to get the students to move. But you're saying that they have to, we have to obtain some level of permission to really be an effective teacher with them. There, there is, I, I, what I don't want to imply is that there shouldn't be authority. The teacher is the authoritative figure. What I am saying though, is that the authority without respect and connection is simply manipulation. And that is not going to get you where you need to, where that's not going to get that child where he or she needs to be. So it's not going to happen because now what's going to happen is if I feel like that you are trying to dictate things that I'm trying to do as opposed, as opposed to leading me and think about it, think about it in these terms. We as adults, if we know that the leader, the leader of our building, the leader in our organization, we know that there's a difference between somebody who is a manager versus someone who is a leader. And it is the same exact thing. It's the same type of connection. Students don't want to be managed. They want to be effectively and authentically led. And that starts with that connection. Wow, that's 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 a new thought. <laughs> that's new thought. That's new thought. Um, okay, so... Wow, I just had to let that marinate for a moment. Let let it simmer mm. for a little bit. Let it simmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let that uh, just kind of stir there in the pot. Let it bubble for a moment. Well, you talked mm-hmm. about urban schools. Is that the yeah. same for our schools in general? Oh yeah, it, it, it there are depending on 
demographics, depending on situations, there are specific, there are certain differences um, in resources, mentality, things of that nature. But there are some fundamental there are some things that are fundamentally broken in education, period. For example, we've been operating off of the same education system for 100 plus years. The way that the education system was originally designed is literally what we function with today. Okay. Well, if we're dealing with an old design, there needs to be mm-hmm. some things that have changed. And that's not yeah. just urban school, that's throughout you know, the United States. Uh, what are some general things that need to change in our schools? I'll say this again, putting relationships first. Also understanding that we have to be more cognizant of bringing more real life into the classroom. And that can be done Like, for example, when we talk about things like culturally responsive teaching and then you hear ideas about project-based learning, a lot of people don't understand without getting too far into it. When you have project-based learning, if you think of something that brings real-world application into the context of and what is often multidisciplinary, science and some social studies wrapped up in there with a little bit of math for calculations and things of that nature, making it make sense because it's real world applicable, that because of how it has to be done, not what it's being taught, but how it is taught, that's culturally responsive teaching in action. Because many times what has to happen is real world application, collaborative working, and challenge, curiosity, and collaboration are at the root of that. You, 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 that is that is a formula for success, but that is again, that's all, that's an afterthought a lot of times with instruction. There is separate and often very intense training that has to happen to understand those concepts when, if that was something that was learned at the beginning of our desire and our need to be uh, instructors and and, and teachers and children of the future, we could more easily infuse that. But what happens is we teach a lot of times the way that we are taught instinctively. And even when we try new things and it doesn't work, instead of having the resilience to move on and keep trying it and make tweaks, we revert back to the old way because it's it's on our comfort zone even when it doesn't work. Hmm. Hmm. What, what are some uh, proven methods to make sure that you know your your educational experience that you provide is top of game? Top of the game. Well, there there's if if you go to my my website at teachhustleinspire.com, there's a free resource that I open for educate uh, offer for educators to help them be at the top of the game. Um, some of those things include number one making sure that you take the time to do you that it's rooted in you you as the educator i'm talking about doing things to make sure that you surround yourself with the right people because if you were to look around you right now and see the type of educators that you can surround that you surround yourself with statistically it's very likely that you all have similar outcomes as far as student achievement. It's the same way with economics and it's the same way with relationship types. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you pouring into and helping to become a better educator? Are you taking time to laugh and detach from this work 
as an educator? Are you taking time to be creative? One of the things that I did as an educator a lot of times is I would wear fly socks. I was known in my building for wearing fly socks. And I would come in there and I got to the point where the students would want to see, well, what socks does Mr. Woodley have on today? I was being my true, authentic self. And I got to express my creativity in fashion. So, you know, the, the, the way that this piece was written, it's just to get you to think outside of some things and put yourself first, which is it, which it is okay to do. A lot of times we feel guilty about doing that and we're not very good at it, but that's what this is rooted in. What is it that you can do to pour into yourself to make sure that you are putting you first to be at the top of your game? And so anybody can go back to your website and look for that book, uh, that PDF, and just click it and they can download it. It's right on the homepage, teachhustleinspired.com. Okay. Hey, what do we find when we go to your Facebook page? Well, the Facebook page is basically the way that I interact um, via social media. Between social, um, between Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter, I'm pretty much there every day. And I'm always sharing updates. Um, I travel a lot and work with a lot of schools and school districts. And so I'm always sharing updates about what is happening on the road. I always share um, different excuse me, motivational quotes and, and things that are happening in the world of education or in my world to kind of engage with my audience. Um, I celebrated a birthday earlier this week. So I just, you know, anything that's happening in my life, I, many times I share it there via social media. Beautiful. Well, uh, happy birthday, brother. <laughs> I thank you. Happy I birthday. Appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the things that I think can happen and needs to happen is mm-hmm. that the the community, the parents, the students, and the community in general um, haven't really done a really good job of advocating for the changes and the improvements and their interests in education. You know, if we're going to buy yeah. into something, it really needs to serve us on the yeah. outset. Now, you know, we've had a lot of parents recently showing up and tripping at the school board meetings. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, what critical race theory and the masks mm-hmm. mandates and other things, uh, which got me to thinking, you know, that there could be a way for outsiders, you know, the the consumer, you know, the the final consumer, the final customer, the student, the parent, mm-hmm. and the community that the uh, students and parents live in, to really bring to the table some things that will make these schools better aligned with their interests. So are there anything that students and parents can do to take action to improve the in-school experience? Yes, but it's difficult. And let me explain what I mean by that. Yes, there are opportunities for parents and students to be more involved in what is happening at the school because the school should be a community serving organization. It is based in, and the children that go to the school are often a part of the immediate community. And so they should work hand in hand. Here's the reason why it's difficult, especially for people of color, black people in particular, the school is a part of a system. You have the classroom, you have the school, you have the school, which is a part of the district. You have the district, which is a part of the state school system, etc. There has never been a time in the history of these United States 
when there has been a system that has continuously benefited black people. That includes the schools, that includes the judicial system, that includes criminal justice system, that includes the housing system, healthcare system. There's never been a time in the history of these United States when we have benefited continuously from systems. So what we see a lot of times with schools are people who themselves have not had good experiences in the education system. And then they have to put their children through that same thing. I mean, I can think of my own experience and maybe you have something similar. In the 13 years that I was in the K-12 system from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, I can count on one hand how many good years that I have. When teaching and learning is supposed to be an, an, an authentic, it's supposed to be an engaging, it's supposed to be a wonderful and pleasant experience, but it's not so, for, especially for Black people and people of color. And so here it is, and this also connects to, and you didn't ask this, but it, it has implications for the pipeline of teachers as well. If I didn't enjoy something go, going through it, why would I now want to go back and work in it? So, you know, we, we have at play here a larger issue at the macro and even at the micro level of a system that we have to go against. So if I haven't had a good experience in this, why would I now want to engage with it, whether it is working in a professional manner or either working to support it? You have your parents and you have your community members that do, but I believe that the reason that we don't have more support is because of the system that is fighting against us a lot of times. Intriguing, and that brings up a lot of the hip hop songs that you and I uh, listen to, and maybe some of the R&B songs, I don't know, but there have been a lot of songs where we've been really critical mm -hmm. of the schooling system that we've gone through. Um, mm -hmm. Dead Prez famously said, they, T-H-E-Y, they schools can't teach us, and I'll keep it clean. Um, our people need freedom. I want to get all I can get. All my, all those high school teachers can, expl expletive, uh -huh. <laughs> teaching us white man lies, straight bull, yeah. more expl you know, expletive. So, so what you just said, is since we've mm -hmm. had a bad experience with the schools, we don't want to go back and fix them. We don't want to mm -hmm. go into them. And when our children go, we're not really joyous about their experience and helping them create a better experience. Mm -hmm. So you said earlier that it can happen, it's not happening, and it would mm -hmm. be challenging. Yeah. So what can happen, even though it's challenging, what can we do? Well, it starts with the understanding that things need to change and what can happen and why I work so hard working with educators um, across this country is to bring more of an awareness that we are in a broken system and trying to do what we can to change it from the inside out. There are people who at all different levels, you have your people who, I have a, a colleague here in the Atlanta area who's running for a local office and he's trying to do what he can from the outside in. My focus is more so from the inside out to help teachers change that mindset and change their, their thinking. It's, here, here's the thing. I, I wholeheartedly believe from the depths of my soul that the vast majority of teachers that are in each and every one of these classrooms wants what is best for their students. 
They're operating in a system that is not designed for their students to be successful and don't even realize it. So here it is, you going into the learning environment each and every day, trying your hardest and getting mediocre results, if all. And it's just, and we wonder why we're burnt out. So if I can help to shift the thinking and to help to shift the mindset, help therefore to shift the strategies and the actions that are taken, now we can begin to see and shift the tide of what is happening in education. But it all starts starts up here. It starts with being aware because when we shift our awareness and beliefs, it shifts our actions. And when we shift our actions, that's when, that, when the results change. So it can be done. But even in those instances, when those shifts happening happen, we're still operating in a larger system that is still broken. Wow. Wow. It's a lot. Still broken. The system is still broken. Mm-hmm. So it's a when, lot. when you know those of us create our own independent schools, our independent mm-hmm. black schools, our uh, you know like you know Dr. Umar is still trying to put together the uh, Frederick Douglass, Marcus Garvey mm-hmm. Academy. There are some other great examples of schools that charter schools that actually work in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. There's a really great system. They have some great schools there that are charter schools in Virginia. Uh, in Virginia Beach, there's a great charter school, although it's system run, but it's still a great school. Um, so mm-hmm. there have been options where opportunities where people have created their yes. own schools. Yes. Yes. The, the fact if that there is a, a need go, go to do. Oh, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Finish. I love what you were going. I love where you're going. Go ahead. I was just going to say the fact that there is a need for people to create their own schools tells you that there's a greater problem at large. That's all I was going to say. Wow. Okay. More proof positive that there needs to be some changes made. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you work on the inside. You just mentioned that you have a colleague who's trying to do some things from the outside. Uh, I personally Mm -hmm. don't believe that the school board can help really change the school system after Mm -hmm. uh, taking a deep dive and looking at it. Um, Mm -hmm. But what are some things that people can do on the inside that are not instructors, that are not in the classroom? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when we're talking about people on the inside, my belief is that, and and I, I heard it phrased this way from a mentor of mine, but everybody that is in that learning environment, from the principal to the assistant principal, to the office manager, to the custodians and everyone in between is an educator because you have interactions with and you are around and you support that learning environment. You are an educator. And when that community, when that level, when that type of culture is established from the top, because that's where it has to come from, when that environment is established from the top and it permeates down that is when you have a culture that is when you have an environment of relationship of caring of instruction and of love so when everyone understands that they have an important role as an educator even if you aren't instructionally in in an instructional role you are still an educator and it's important that everyone has to understand that 
Oh, that's deep. That's intriguing because I do remember in elementary school how the lunch ladies would sew into us, you know, how the janitor would say some motivating things. And there were one or two janitors in elementary school, maybe even in middle school, who would ask us questions that were part of the curriculum we were learning. Like a young man, what class are you taking? I'm taking uh, pre-algebra. Oh, well, what's uh, what's a vertex? Something like that. And I'm like, huh? Oh, and so mm-hmm. that was really a part of my experience, my educational experience. Mm-hmm. Everybody, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case anymore. It, it 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 is in some places that you go. I, I've seen it. It's not common, unfortunately, um, but it does exist. Hmm. Interesting. One of the things that I like about educators and, uh, you know, as getting a chance to know you over this year and a half, I've learned that you're really passionate about making change. Mm-hmm. You know, you want things to improve. Yes. Yeah. Your whole teach, hustle, inspire movement is to get people to improve. And I say movement because you have merch, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. you had a hoodies. I personally mm-hmm. like the purple one. You of know, course. Actually, I can rock the purple or the gold. I can rock either one of them. Uh, but you have merch, you have books. So I'm going to yeah. call this a movement. But one of the things I really like about your movement is you're really kind of focused on making change. And mm-hmm. I'm interested in finding out how we make intentional generational change so I guess my first question towards that end is you know what have you intentionally done differently from your previous generation to make a better life um, when, when you said better life a better life for me and my family or for students which which direction are you going there it's really open it's open and okay. it could be your family it could be your school it could be your employees it could be Atlanta I know you're in the ATL salute to ATL mm-hmm. um yeah, I'll, I'll say it like this: with with going, with thinking about what I am, with what I am building with Teach Hustle Inspire, I think of that in terms of it being something that is intentionally done differently. You don't a lot of times see quote unquote educators with these brands, if you will. You, you have some that are very influential in what they do. Um, and and they have some really, really strong ideas and excellent books and things of that nature. But what I intentionally try to do with Teach Hustle Inspire is to create a brand that a lot of people can get behind because they identify with it. If, if I am an education influencer and I'm an author and I have good work and good research out here, I feel that some, while it can be an impactful, it's limited in participation. I'm, I'm creating something that is participatory, something that you, if you're an educator, then even if not, if, if, you're, if you've ever taught, if you've ever parented, if you've ever mentored, if you've ever led in some way, shape or form, you are an educator because you are helping someone that is trying to get where you are to do better. That's why we are here on this earth. It's all about the next generation. And so what I'm trying to do is just to build something that other people can get behind and that inspire meaning spread love and light. That's intentional. I didn't just choose that for any particular reason. So I am intentionally doing something different by creating a movement 
in educator, in education, other educators can get behind and galvanize. Beautiful, beautiful. And related, you know, what is one change that you're super, uber passionate about working towards that needs to occur in the world that may not necessarily be education based or it could be, you know, something that you're just super passionate about? I've always understood the power of connection and relationships. And that is one thing that is infused in pretty much everything that I do in my personal and professional life. And many of the speaking engagements that I am um, and asked to do, whether it's a workshop, keynote speech or a seminar, anything in between, I always find some way to fuse relationships and connection into the conversation because it is that relevant and applicable. Whether you are an educator, whether you are a leader, whether you are in a corporate world, whether you are not, we all are relational beings by nature and relationships are important. Relationships are important in every facet and aspect of life inside and outside of the classroom. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Wow. I I really love where you went with that. Really love where you went with that. How did you start out, man? How did you start? I mean, I kind of know some of the backstory. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for those who are uninitiated, you know, they haven't had a chance to meet you. (laughs) Uh, You know, what's your backstory? How did you get involved in education? You mentioned that you were a DJ. You know, salute to all Mm -hmm. the DJs. Um, but you were an educator at the same time. So where did you start your educational career? I started my education career. Um, this kind of goes back to high school. And essentially, when I was in high school, I was also a musician. Everything pretty much that I did had to do with music. And so at that time, as an 11th grader, I just knew that I was going to play drums and go on tour with Missy Elliott or Usher or somebody like that. You couldn't tell me any different. Um, And so I got some advice from one of my high school teachers. And he said, you know, you're a really good musician, but give yourself something to fall back on. So he said, why don't you study education? That way you have something that can give you a little bit of wiggle room just in case this thing doesn't work out if you play drums professionally. Best advice I got. Uh, because when I got to Hampton and realized that every there were some people there that to this, like, for example, one of my boys to this day, he plays for Charlie Wilson. I mean, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal drummer. Um, and, and so that that's the level that these people were on. I was not there. And so that is, I got my uh, entrance into education and I started taking my education classes uh, and really just was intrigued with the psychology behind all of it and just the idea of, of, I'm I'm a very social person, so just being able to engage with other people and, and, and being able to be in that classroom and being able to teach and engage with students. I had a really good student teaching experience. And so that was enough for me to say, you know what, I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. How were you uh, as a new teacher, you know? (laughs) It looks to me like you have a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience. How did you start off? Um, I started, it it was a rough start for me pretty much um, because when I got started in, in education, um, I'll say it like this. 
I, I started off with, because of the school that I taught in and the neighborhood that it was in and the perception that I had about the students that were there and what I was led to believe, I came in there as a very lay in the hammer, very strict, no smiling, um, very stern and ended up unbeknownst to me creating an environment of fear. And I taught like that literally for two years and just creating an environment where there was no connection. There were no opportunities for students to really engage with me or the work. I didn't present myself as someone who was connectable. I didn't present myself as, you know, in hindsight is 2020. At, at that time, I thought I was doing the right thing because I didn't have a lot of discipline problems. I didn't have a lot of students that I was writing up, but I also didn't have a lot of students who were really learning at their highest potential because they were scared in my classroom. Literally, I got like one of the parents told me that she said, my daughter is scared in their classroom. And so that is when I began to make some changes um, immediately and began my evolution as a more competent, uh, a more basically someone who started to enjoy teaching and learning more because I was growing as a person, which fueled my professional growth as well. I say that. I say that. <laughs> the Get On Code Show is all about empowerment. And so we really kind of focus on empowerment as our key. And it's empowerment focused through health, wealth, and knowledge itself. And, you know, you've talked mm -hmm. a lot of, you've talked a lot about healthy relationships, healthy mm -hmm. engagement with students and with the community, healthy engagement with academics. Um, mm -hmm. How has education empowered you? Well, that is the hustle part of Teach, Hustle, Inspire, and the can't stop learning and the won't stop learning. I, even though, I mean, I have a, a PhD and I, I've done tons of research, I'm still learning. I still buy books. I still enjoy reading. I still enjoy growing because that is what a lot of this is about, is how can we continue to grow and how can we continue to improve ourselves? That's, you know, getting that, that dopamine hit of not just accomplishing something, but the process of accomplishing something. It, 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 it makes me feel like I'm contributing something. And more importantly, I know that there are others that are benefiting from that. So I enjoy the learning process. I really do. And I try to convey that to others. I say uh, any last words. I know that you uh, have some other meetings to go to some other customers to serve. Um, any <laughs> last words for those who are, you know, learning and earning from this content and your, your thought process. It, it's just that to, to remember, you know, why we are here, we're, we're here to build and to connect with one another. And in this, in this race that we are all running, it's hard work that we do regardless of your role and regardless of your position. So while you are serving others, do not forget to serve yourself, especially in the education field. We are givers by nature and to a fault. Take time to pour into yourself so that you can pour into others. And I think that's a great way to end. Take time to pour into yourself so you can pour into others. We've been learning and earning with uh, the good Dr. Sean Woodley, author of the great book. Uh, I love the title. <laughs> I just love the title. MC means move the class. I'm looking forward to Rakim when he does his verses. Who do you think he should do his verses with? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, honestly. Um, it would have been, 
I think that the the one that came on the other day, the KRS one, the Big Daddy came. He he could have fit nicely in there somewhere with that, but I, I'm regardless, I'm signing up for it. I'll I'll be there. Right, 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 right. I enjoyed uh, Big Daddy Kane versus uh, KRS One. I'm a big KRS One fan, uh, and mm-hmm. of course, I love anything Brooklyn. KRS One was born in Brooklyn. Big Daddy Kane represents Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a b- blood type, uh, so I, I just loved awesome. it. I had a great time. And uh, MC means move the class. Pick up the book if you're an educator. Pick up the book if you're a parent. I would say that parents would even benefit from, I mean, from what I've read, you know, I haven't gone through the entire mm-hmm. book yet, but from the parts that I've read so far, I think parents will walk away with something that can help them improve their educational experience of their children. I would agree. I would definitely agree. Uh, maybe that's your next book. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm working on something right now. Working on something I right now. I say that. All right, Code Keepers, you've been checking out Get On Code. We've had the good Dr. Sean Woodley with us. Remember to pick up some of his merch. He has purple and gold stuff. We both like that. He, we both like the gold anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's the author of the book MC Move. MC means move the class. And, uh, yo, his client list is bananas. Look at that. Hey, man, <laughs> you, you got the bag, as they say. <laughs> you're successfully changing the lives of the children that we serve and we thank you for that so get on code stay on code teach the code the code is empowerment and we love you peace thank you stay floss 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 The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests, unless we say we agree, unless explicitly stated. (laughs) Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly.